Bouncing Back, a podcast about conversations that transform lives. I'm Grace, your host. Here on this podcast, we are excited to share with you some amazing stories of resilience. We celebrate the triumphs of people who have overcome life-changing adversity as a result of an accident or a diagnosis. Listening to their stories will inspire you. We hope that you will learn from their experience and go bouncing back to be your best. Sharing their story today, we have Lockie, a 28-year-old from Melbourne. Lockie is a hand cyclist, a chef, and an aspiring exercise physiologist. On June 10, 2011, Lockie was involved in a rugby accident, and within a blink, his life changed. Lockie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Lockie, for being a part of the podcast. Thank you for having me. So we'll get started. Lockie, can you please tell us a bit about yourself and what you get up to? So my name is Lachlan O'Brien. I'm currently 28 years of age, 29 in December. Um, and I have been in a wheelchair for around oh, 11 years now. Um, I spend most of my time competing in hand cycling, or training hand cycling. So I train about what, six days a week in the bike and then well, it's a bit harder at home. But yeah, gym, gym twice a week as well. And yeah, so take it very, very seriously. Um, what else? Do you have competitions for your hand cycling? Yeah, I sure do. So I have um, been, there's a few that have been obviously knocked back as a COVID and stuff. But um, yeah, I do time trial series in, in the winter. So it's just time trials just by yourself as hard as you go, no drafting or anything like that. Um, usually any, it can range anywhere from yeah, 16Ks through to about 30Ks sort of thing. So that's just a short distance and then... Longer distance is road races, so that can be anywhere from 40 to 80 kilometres. So our national circuit is about 40 kilometres and very, very hilly, um, which is in January, so it's coming up soon. Are your competitions interstate or just around Victoria? Mainly Victoria. Um, there is interstate opportunities. Um, you chose you this year, I didn't really get onto that. Uh, maybe next year I might even look into that, go on Adelaide or something like that. Um, so, yeah, so what I sort of my season sort of is broken up so I have towards the either the end of the year or the start of the year like January or so I'll um I'll go on right up the mountains around there's a thing called the seven peaks so it's the um I don't know if you've heard of seven peaks before but it's the seven alpine resorts around Victoria from the base all the way up to the top by road are they pretty steep some of them are very steep like Mount Ball Boy is just is relentless it's very hard it's only six kilometers but it is all very very steep uphill so I do that one that one's not available this year because of the roads unfortunately but um yeah i do that each year and um i just really enjoy that and i get very competitive my times going up it and then after that i'm going to do time trial season and then train for nationals and then repeat but i really enjoy it so yeah and then i'm also studying to studying personal training at the moment um because i want to be work as a personal trainer and build up experience um because i want to create a business where when people leave rehab i can help train them up um from more from a mental health point of view but i want to train them physically so they can get around easy and that way they don't have you know their shoulders aren't fatigued and everything which happens you know if you're not doing the right exercise and everything like that 
So I want to do that, but at the same time, I'm gonna once I finish my personal training course, I'm gonna go study exercise science at um at uni at La Trobe. Um, so and then I want to become an exercise physiologist. So it just works through the NDS and that sort of stuff better, and I'll give me more informed knowledge about giving giving people the right exercises, not just any any old exercises. So I want to try and create a sort of a group setting if I can, or if individual people need sort of thing but um so people leave rehab and they'll come to me and I'll help train them up it's like a rehab after rehab I think of um and then also from a mental health point of view I want to help them um maybe we can catch up as groups and that sort of stuff and that's when people start to have questions about what's going on with the spinal injury and that sort of stuff so you know maybe I can help them have other people around to help them and just just as a group setting become a bit more more of a norm thing I guess and then yes that's sort of my dream that sounds like an awesome idea, Lockie. You would be able to help so many people who are needing that extra knowledge in how to train their body, I guess, after going through rehab. And, yeah, it just sounds like you are very busy. Yeah, I try to. <laughs> it keeps me busy. My next question is, Lockie, would you be able to describe your accident and your spinal injury and what happened? In, what was it, Queen's birthday weekend, so June 10th, uh, yeah, June 10th, uh, 2011. Um, I was just it was a regu- regular training session, um, and then it was a drill where it involved receiving the ball, running into players, and then either you went down and then put the ball backwards, or you kept going and then tried to break through people, break through the players, sorry. Um, and then I received the ball, ran into the pad, and as I hit the pad or the person, I fell down on an angle, and then my neck was in not the best angle, and then after I landed, someone actually thing that causes someone fell on top of me as which usually happens in rugby people push on forward someone fell on top of me and then straight away i broke the c7 um which was quite creepy i could actually hear i could still remember hear it today but my hear the echo of my voice screaming when i when it happened um so yeah that um and then from there they took me to the alfred hospital was the ambulance took 15 minutes to get there really quick or quicker than that but that took me 45 minutes to get from the ground stable up into the ambulance because they really need to make sure your neck is stable um so yeah they took me to the alfred well they did a few scans like i think ct i don't know if it was mri or not um and a few scans and then um from there they took me to the austin hospital once i was more stable and then um i was there in three north um the spinal ward i was there for about a month and a half um i was in bed i think i was in bed for about four or five days or a week and then i got up in the chair and felt very strange because like I don't have you know I don't have my abdominal muscles so the first time you don't have your abdominal muscles it feels like you're on a wobbly you're on a wobbly board you can't balance and you know I used to have a chest strap and everything like that um and then yeah after a month and a half then they sent me over to the um the Royal Talbot which I actually really enjoyed um because you're starting to focus on the physical thing which is something I've always preferred to do like always enjoyed um so just about getting strong and learning to transfer and become independent and because um, I'm quite stubborn I was good at that <laughs> um so yeah so I was there for which I had my neck brace on for about oh what was it three months um and then as soon as I got my neck brace off I just learned to transfer very very fast because from rugby I was strong my body's quite strong so I was able to develop that very fast um and then after the medical complications sorted out then I was I left rehab yeah, it was about five and a half months, didn't I think? So I left it about, what were we, November, I think it was. And then got out there just in time for my birthday. And then from there, um, went back to school and finished my last year of school. What was it like for you going back to school after your spinal injury? 
it was definitely a different experience. It was different from, you know, obviously not have the spinal injury. Um, back then, that was the early days, so I wasn't super, super comfortable with my body image back then. Like, I was still young, so I hadn't, I hadn't, I was, I wasn't as emotionally mature as I am now. Um, so I definitely found, yeah, it was a, it was hard in that regard. And then um, I definitely was, because of the medical issues I'd had, they were a problem sometimes. I get a bit embarrassed about that. Like if I had a bowel accident or something like, you know, young people around you. And then if I wasn't comfortable, you know, they're not going to be comfortable. So back then it was a sort of problem. So yeah, it took me a while to do that. And I think, um, you know, I wasn't just getting up and going to school every day. Some days I just struggled to, you know, I'd found it hard because to get to school and everything. And some days my shoulders were tired because I wasn't, you know, doing a lot of... Um, exercise I am through the physio and through hand cycling so I definitely found that some days were just exhausting mentally and physically for me at school so um yeah definitely was uh was hard going back to school but um I wouldn't regret it at all. I can imagine that would have been extremely hard especially during year 12 and your final year of school what was your rehab like as an outpatient once you were discharged from the hospital? Yeah, initially when I first had my spinal injury, like a lot of people do, I just wanted to walk. Like so, I just and I said to myself, I'm gonna walk. Like I, I want to play rugby specifically, not like I don't really care so much about walking to be honest. So, um, I did the walk walk therapy for a while. Um, I have an incomplete injury, so it's a bit of a strange one. So, but then I did did it for a bit, and then um, yeah, realized well, not not much is really happening, and I, I was trying as hard as I could possibly could, and then um, but I actually had enjoyed more having conversation with therapists and everything and I got to a point where I was like you know I need I need to do something else here I'm not really enjoying this I just like the social aspect so after that I stopped and then it took me a while to get into sports again but um to find the right sport for me but I eventually tried wheelchair rugby and then didn't really get too into that like I enjoyed it a bit but it was wasn't for me so much um also for classification system basically my hands weren't uh impaired enough um to play the sport so I did wheelchair racing for a bit and then um, a friend of mine did that and I got into that a little bit with him just for fun and then got into the pool, learned to swim with him and then thought, oh, here's a triathlon. So I'll do a triathlon, got a bike. As soon as I got the bike, I was like, I love this. So I did the triathlon, got rid of everything else and just started riding and focused on that and started getting racing and then, yeah, and then that was where my real rehab sort of was there. Like, where it really helped, I meant to say. Um, because, yeah, as soon as I started doing hands, I got so much stronger and everything became so much easier getting around in the wheelchair and, yeah, it made a big difference. I guess it really is important to be able to find that new passion in life and it sounds like you were really able to find that in hand cycling. I understand you also had an accident last year. Would you be able to tell us a bit about that? Last year I had another accident um, where I basically had a bit of a fall and got stuck and then um, I basically got compartment syndrome which then led to many, many, many medical um, complications. I had a perforated bowel, so six surgeries on my bowels. I had, I was on dialysis, my kidneys shut down, everything. Um, a horrible pressure sore formed in ICU. And um, yeah, just a few other things, blood clots and you, know, you name it, throw it on top, I had it. Um, and then I was in ICU for 84 days. Oh yeah, I had a trachea, so I couldn't talk either. Um, for someone who likes to talk, that's hard. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so I was in there for hospital in ICU for like what 90 days 84 days or something like that and then from there went through the whole system again that I was before but I lost all my strength so I had to build my strength up in there and for those who 
don't know what compartment syndrome is. It's um, a condition that occurs when excess pressure builds up within your muscles. And when this pressure builds up, it can become dangerous and therefore decrease your blood flow. And then it can prevent oxygen from reaching muscles and nerve cells throughout your body. Would you be able to tell me a bit more about your pressure injury? I've only ever had one really bad one, which I had in hospital. So the pressure injury I had was actually formed in ICU because I didn't... I was on a ventilator. Well, mind you, I had that one thing I forgot to mention as well, that I was in a juice coma for two weeks. <laughs> um, that was pretty important to mention. Was that when you first had your spinal injury or was that last year? Yeah, the second time. So this is last year. So when I first had my spinal injury, I was medically, like, pretty good. Like, I was not... I didn't, I was awake the whole time and everything, like I was alert. So whereas this time, you know, knocked out and just came in for two weeks, thought I was going to, I almost died three times and yeah, there's medical, medical, lots of stuff. So from a medical point of view, it was a lot harder. So the pressure sore, so that was formed while I was lying in bed for two weeks because it didn't turn me. Um, just the, I think they're, they're supposed to, um, but they're also worried about keeping me alive and that sort of stuff. So moving me, I don't know, to be honest with you, but it was quite a big one um just in this sort of sacral area um and then which actually given where the way my chair's set up is actually in a good spot for me because um i was able to get mobile it took a while for the physios and everything to realize this but when i got to royal tower but i was able to get up all all day because of where where it was positioned um and then that healed that took about whoa we're talking about well if, if we're considering from the start of icu all the way through to rehab it took Geez, we're talking like maybe three months, four months to heal. Um, a lot of beds side to side, which I could get up at the, and I could get up a little bit at the beginning. And then as soon as I got in my chair, it was just in a perfect spot, so it wasn't affected. So, but pressure sores, to delve into them, they are they're probably the worst thing you can get being in a chair. I think personally, um, because they just you traditionally you just get it, you get off them, you go bed side to side depending where they are. Um, and yeah i've had that one and then i've had a few since like little little niggles since which i've only been in bed for one week so i decide um which i got it because i got a cut and then i went in my hand cycle and it got worse and then you know so i check i i find the routine is you should check your bum at least a couple of times a week just with a mirror just make sure see what's going on because you don't because you can't feel it so much um it's important to be on top of because if you catch it early and you get off it straight away, you can, it can heal very, very, very fast. Whereas if you don't, it could just take ages. So depending on where it's positioned. Yeah, I think it's extremely important to always check your body, your bottom, your feet for pressure injuries. If you are someone who uses a wheelchair and anyone who is sitting down and putting pressure on those areas for long periods of time, yeah, they're so much easier to manage and heal if you do catch them early. Otherwise, like in your case, they can take like up to three months to heal and they can become dangerous or even life-threatening so yeah i've learned so much about that and dressings and everything like that just from a from a the the what's it called the um it's not yes skiz spinal cord integration service what is the spinal cord integration service for those listening who are unsure spinal cord integration service so the outreach program so they come out nurse comes out he's is really switched on in there's a lot about pressure sores. So he's taught me about that and dressings and stuff like that and since i've done that yeah i've had one i had two since um the first one he taught me about it and then helped for me and the second one i just took care of on my own because i know how to do it now and it went away pretty quickly so and they're they're, they're very they're, they're not black and white either it's pressure injuries because if they if they're really bad sometimes 
you might think they're fine and then underneath the surface they're actually building worse so it's just simple things like you press on it and when it what you call blanches when the skin goes white through it and return the blood returns through then that's good if it doesn't do that you just it's getting pretty bad like why well, it's really bad um so yeah it's it's really dependent on where it's positioned like some people some nurses are worried like if you have a cut on your arm or your, on your leg on the front of your leg then they're like oh that could turn a pressure sore but no nah, it's as long as you're if you're on it the whole time then it's a pressure sore if it's not on it then you shouldn't be so worried i think yeah it's all in the name i guess if you're putting in constant pressure on it that's when it can become a problem what were your experiences with occupational therapists in your recovery? I'll have to break that into two for you. So both of my injuries. So at the beginning, um, I dealt with OTs a little bit, not so much because um, it was more to do with home, the home setup and that sort of stuff. And they were, they were very good. Um, and I was young as well, so I didn't understand as much. Um, but then over the years, getting to know OTs and, you know, through the, when the NDIS came about and everything, I definitely... Especially with Hillary, um, I found it very, very useful and I learnt a lot of information through her and then a lot of OTs. And then this injury I had, um, because my right hand was was affected, what well, is affected. Are you right-handed? Yeah, I'm right-handed, which it actually is more, it sounds really weird. In recovery, it's a lot easier to, when you're right-handed because you, you rely on the hand naturally more, so muscle memory is, definitely takes effect. Um, so yeah, I found, um, I dealt with, I worked with OTs a lot, um, you know, like I, every day I was just working hard on my, on my arm, my hand a lot. So, um, I found OTs to be amazing, um, real game changer for, for me in my situation. Um, and yeah, I just, from, from a hand therapy point of view and then also from a, um, sort of home setup point of view, which I, I know I've got a lot of experience, so it wasn't as needed but yeah I found they were very useful in that and some of the things they suggested I learned um equipment wise I still I didn't even know which is interesting so um I definitely found OT OT's useful in all of those environments. Who else did you work with through your recovery other than occupational therapists? Yeah lots so physios I've worked with closely for years um more particularly I'd say two to three years um because yeah, through my hand cycling, I found that my shoulders would be a bit tired. So I did, did a lot of exercises for my joints and that sort of stuff. And, and now I get to a point where I just do them every day um, before I ride because I train pretty hard. So I need to sort of make sure I'm doing the right exercises so I don't get injuries. Um, and then, yeah, so physios a lot. Um, nurses only when I've been in hospital, not a huge amount of nurses because medically I'm pretty much onto most of the stuff. Um, what else? Fair few services. I'm just I'm trying to think of even exercise exercise physiologists. Did you ever work with exercise physiologists? A little bit. Uh, more more physios, to be honest with you. Um, exercise physiologists only when I was in rehab, really. Well, my coach has got is sort of like that. He's um he's got his doctorate in sports science, so he's well overqualified. So I dealt with him a lot. So that's if you could say that's some sort of support service sort of thing. So he's, yeah, learned a lot from him for sure. What made you want to study exercise physiology? Main reason is because I want to do sustainable exercises for people. And what I mean by sustainable is I don't want to just get someone strong their shoulders up and then fatigue in, you know, 15 years. I want to I try and help build up people's shoulder strength 
and then from a longevity point of view they can last 20 30 years because the shoulders are, there's only a certain amount of time that they can last because it's quite vigorous the after a lot of the activities we do so i don't know i just want to sort of and do a bit of research into that and everything and um, delve a bit deeper so um mainly mainly for that that reason and latrobe because the campus is beautiful and i really want to i really like campus there um yeah and then um it's not too far away either who was your biggest support throughout your journey my family so amazing and i think all of my family contributed in different ways uh, my brother was he under he understands the stuff um the stubbornness sort of thing so he'd um he knew how to communicate to me really well without getting on my nerves you know whereas i think you know the early days the mum mum just being mum caring and that sort of stuff and you know when you when you're stubborn and trying to be independent that can get in your nerves but she had the best intentions so and now you know definitely perceive it differently but yeah um and then my old man was he'd understand and everything like that and um he was really good good support they all came and visited me and then even my school they were absolutely incredible like um they were there for me even the mums cooked meals to bring to me and that and that sort of stuff um and all my friends were just incredible um and then also some of the um support services i met when i was in rehab like um I had like a lot of mentors in um wheelchairs and everything like that and it was really good to look up to them and talk to them about any issues i had i found that was a that made a big difference sounds like you had a really supportive environment around you which really makes the world of difference i definitely did yep other than family support, did you attend any support groups or anything like that? To be honest with you, no. Nah, I more just sort of hung out with other people in wheelchairs and then, um, you know, just just to talk to them or people that have experienced people in wheelchairs more like it um, just because I could ask them questions and then I enjoyed – they were good sort of role models in that regard. Um, but over the years when I decided um, I wanted to sort of – help other people in wheelchairs because they would help me um i thought I'd, I'd get involved with some peer support so through aqa and spire and a few things um i do a bit of sort of mentoring um at at the royal talbot which is the one i went through twice now um and yeah i really really enjoy being involved with them and then um helping patients there and they know me now they because i've been through there recently they know me really well they're the nurses everyone sort of thing so i've got a good relation tied in there which COVID, unfortunately you can't sort of go there at the moment i was um involved in cooking program there and all that sort of stuff as well like which i really enjoyed and it wasn't about the cooking funny enough it was about that was an element to keep distracted from what's going on but it was more about the cat the, the conversations and stuff like that so i think i think it's just important as well having a good support network like i was lucky i have good family and friends amazing um and that made a huge difference through my rehab for both processes both this last year and then 11 years ago when i had my spinal injury um at the time you don't think about it sometimes but the supports that were given what that were there with my friends and family just invaluable like i feel like i wouldn't be the person i am today without them um so i I don't know how they can like there's 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 mentor programs and stuff that they help people but i think um it's sort of important for people to know that that that's around family and friends that they can talk to them about that sort of that sort of stuff where people some feel sometimes feel isolated in the sense that people don't understand what they're going through so they don't want to talk about it so some people say i'd encourage people to try and just reach out from the beginning of the early days so just going back on what we were talking about earlier, you went back to school and you finished year 12. And then what did you do after you finished school? After I took a few, like a year or two off um, after school and just enjoyed myself, I realised 
you know, I need to find a passion. And then I went and studied to be a chef, which I loved and worked as a chef for a little bit. But then realized that, you know, like I love being a chef, but working as a chef in a chair is very, very hard. Like you have your physical limitations for sure. So um, I don't regret that at all because I love cooking. So that's a passion that will always stick with me. What's your specialty in the kitchen? What do you like to cook? I'd definitely say probably stews. Um, like I'm, very, I'm a very versatile cook. I like to be. Um, but I, my favorite, my favorite to eat is stews. So, you know, like I have this tradition of making this New Orleans stew called red beans, more red beans than you serve it with rice. Um, which takes a few hours to cook, and it's just delicious because when you, you know, the result at the beginning changes so much to the end so i love that and the flavor of you get a stew is just second to none so yeah probably probably stews but i do a lot of southeast cooking asian yeah i do a lot of southeast asian cooking as well which i'm getting into more what did you do after being a chef so after i was learning to be a chef i did work as a chef for seven months but then i got made redundant from that job um and just happened to change career randomly and became a youth worker for two years um which I enjoyed that, and that really gave me a different perception of mental health, um, which I learned a lot from that job. Um, and then worked also repairing chairs, and then at the moment, well, my next job after that was market research, which I still do that now. Um, that's just doing surveys because it sort of fits into our lifestyle. Um, sorry, surveys, calling people and then getting to do surveys on the phone, um, which has really got my convincing, convincing skills a lot better. <laughs> um, so I do that because it's about 4 to 8 p.m., the hours because that way I can get up and train and train in the morning I can study and then work and then bed and then repeat sort of thing so um at the moment that fits in with my schedule and then after after I'm qualified as a personal trainer I want to work really hard to try and get a job as a personal trainer and then maybe go to ABN do my own business in the early days we'll see when that starts at some point but um yeah that's I'm that's something I really want to get a job at I really enjoy it I think another really important thing is, yeah, to have a routine to fall back onto. I think having a good routine is definitely really beneficial for your mental health too. And I think that's awesome that you have a plan and where you want to go. Yeah, nice. So, yeah, once you, I don't want you into the into sport and that sort of stuff. It's just it just seems like a no brainer if you if you like a little bit of science behind it. And it's just the biomechanics behind everything is very interesting. What was the most challenging part of your recovery? Probably letting go of rugby. It took, it took a long time to do that. Um, it was my passion in my life. Like I tend to go all into something when I love it. Um, so yeah, I, um, that, that was probably the, that was one of the hardest things. It'd be two things. It would be the rugby and then it would be um, sometimes admitting that I need help. Like I was very stubborn and I want to do everything myself. So, and as soon as I got quite comfortable in asking for help, I found mentally I was lot better off and I felt I felt uh, a lot more comfortable like I was the less strain on me mentally and that sort of stuff just from being over stubborn and everything what was the hardest part mentally in your recovery yeah it was um I think losing losing your passion of I was losing my passion of rugby it was like we were walking and stuff yeah I didn't really I don't know I didn't really for me I wasn't affected as much by the fact of not being able to walk um from a sexual function, sexual function point of view, yeah, mentally it affects you in relationships and everything. As soon as you have relationships, it starts to open up a whole lot of um, other challenges. So um, I definitely found that 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 was a bit of a wake up for me years later. Um, and then, but I, I felt that from that I grew a lot more. Um, and at the at the beginning, yeah, it was hard mentally just to sort of 
adjust to everything. Um, but I found that once I adjusted, it sort of, it sounds a bit weird, but it's a bit of a useful tool in that regard. The, ad- the adversity you go through, you just become so much stronger mentally. So in a weird way, I wouldn't change it because it's made me to a, to a strong person I am today. So you said this experience has made you into a stronger person today, but um, how else would you say this experience has changed you? Yeah, from all the um, all the challenges I've faced, um, I just feel like they've made me, they've challenged me to really question who I am um, and what my motivations are, what my values are, and they've really made me rock solid and confident in what I believe I can achieve and what I believe is important to me. Um, and who is important to me as well. Um, you learn that when you're going through these hard times, um, you really see who's close to you and who's there to support you and who loves you. So um, I found that my relationships, you know, the weak ones are gone and the strong ones are so much stronger. Yeah, going through adversity, you would definitely learn who is really there for you and there to support you. It sounds like you've learnt so much from this experience, but out of everything you have learnt, what would you say you have learnt most? a lot that I've learned but um, it's sort of a combination of um, my recent injury um, to my spinal injury but I think to don't be afraid to ask um, others for help um, it, t- it took me a fair few years even when I was at my strongest last year I definitely was still stubborn in that regard not asking people for help um, but I learned through that hospital that um, yeah I definitely need to ask others for help um, you know but like mentally and then physically sometimes when I need you know like I'm very stubborn and proud and like do everything myself but I've, I've started to feel more comfortable and you know just sometimes if I want to do an exercise or do something that could put a serious strain on my shoulders I think well I'd rather use someone who has more muscle groups and then they can be more efficient and they won't hurt them and won't hurt me and then you know so essentially it's more efficient in that regard as well um, and, and I've also learnt have self-respect in yourself um, body image as well I think um I learned a lot of people in chairs have body image, especially when you're either a quadriplegic or you're a high-level para because you always have a belly. Even when you go ahead and do 200 kilometres a week in the bike, you still sort of develop a belly. Um, so just to be confident with that, um, it's, it's been a battle, but I definitely feel like I'm getting into the better end of it now. Um, so I've learned confidence in that regard as well. A lot more as well. I think that's a very important point you made. I think it would be common for people who have had a similar injury to be self-conscious of their body image, but it sounds like you've come such a long way in your journey and being more confident in who you are, which is absolutely incredible because that really isn't an easy thing to do. So, Lockie, what made you want to share your story with others? The number one thing would be because hopefully it can help others. One of the most important things in life is to help other people that are going through similar situations um, or any adversity or even someone who's not going to university can motivate people. So, um, yeah, I think from that point of view, I definitely really want to share and just, I really enjoy helping people. I definitely think your story would really help and inspire a lot of other people listening. Have you had any experiences sharing your story before? Uh, yeah, I've done a bit of, a bit of everything to be honest. Like I did, um, I worked uh, a company talking about um, spinal injuries, but um, it was more focused on, you know, this this can happen and this is a bad a bad result. And I did, to me, it's too, it's too much of a negative thing. I found, um, which is well, it's it's teaching kids about be careful because this could happen. But to me, it's just too much of a negative association, and I don't I don't like that so much. I prefer to share my story in a positive environment. So um, did that for a bit, and then I've done a few 
podcasts. Um, I have done one school talk where I did focus on the positive aspect and I really enjoyed that. Um, I tied it into their schooling about, you know, be open for opportunities and that sort of stuff. Um, so, so, yeah, I've just been involved with heaps of things, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think it's really important not to have a negative association towards spinal injuries or any other injuries or disabilities. It's great that you are able to still share your story and highlight the positives and what you can achieve still and not focus on the negatives because I think a lot of people end up getting stuck on the negatives, but it's really important to be able to highlight the positives. What would you want to tell others who are going through their own recovery or rehab? When they're ready to hear it, um, find find some new passions in life because um, that's, that's the ultimate drive that, you know, it keeps you focused from, keeps you distracted from what you're going through. It'll give you um, hope or something to look forward to in life. Um, and then, and also is it, it makes it easy to accept the fact that, you know, you've got something you love now, which you can do when you're in a chair. So you can accept the fact that you might not be able to, might not be able to walk depending on your spinal injury and everything like that. Um, but yeah, just it's, it makes a big difference in your drive in life. Wow, Lucky, that's really some great advice. I think that it's really important to have a passion in life and some goals that can give your life, I guess, a new meaning. So hand cycling is one of your biggest passions now. How has having this passion helped you in other aspects of your life? For me, I found um, sport one of the most useful things being in a chair and the reason why is is from a physical health and a mental health point of view. And what I mean by that is with hand cycling, me getting so much stronger makes it so much easier to push around in my wheelchair, transfer up and down off the ground or wherever I want to go, which enables me to do more things in life and it makes me more comfortable. Like a lot of people, I think there's a fair few people in chairs that have maybe hey, could have a slight fear of getting on the ground or looking helpless, like if, for lack of better words, um, um, to give people worried about the image that they, you know, that people see of them. Um, so I think that definitely made a big difference in terms of getting around and being comfortable. Um, but I think that the, the ultimate message, going back to your question before, would be to be comfortable with yourself and who you are in the chair as, as a person because I think that's so important. If you're comfortable with that, then when someone says something, you won't be as offended by it, um, which a lot of people in chairs, especially a lot of paras out there, or even quads as well, um, when they're super, super independent and someone offers them help, you know, at the early days, I was offended. I used to get so offended by anyone helping me because I thought, oh, you, you think I'm, you know, you think I'm look, really disabled, what's going on, like, but, you know, that was just that, that's just their way of trying to help, you know, and I I got comfortable with that. And um, so when someone asked for my hand, I sometimes I might say yes if I need it, um, but a lot of the time I'll just say, I'm okay, I appreciate the offer, and then I have a good conversation, you know, and then done sort of thing. So instead of getting frustrated and angry about it, yeah, so I think, Self-comfortability is very important to go back to that question before. Yeah, that's a great point, Lockie. It's really important to be able to be comfortable in yourself and sometimes that will just take a bit of time. So thank you so much, Lockie, for being a part of our podcast. You have such an incredible story and I think it's really going to help and inspire a lot of other people listening. So thank you. Thank you for interviewing me. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Along with Lockie, we hope you listeners feel empowered to keep going yourself or support another in the community. No matter how bad the situation is or how hopeless the prognosis is, there is always a space to grow out of it, a reason to fight on, find that strength to keep going and never give up.
I'm Grace. This is Bouncing Back, and thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.